Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that this, these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. <clears throat> a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig round it and fertilise it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Andrew, thank you very much for reading for us. Let's pray as we start. Heavenly Father, as we come to look at your word together now, please do give us the wisdom to hear what you say, the courage to act on it, and the real joy that comes when we know our sins are forgiven and our eternity is secure. Amen. Well, teaching my children to ride a bike was a challenge. I was focused on safety. They were focused on anything but safety. I'd give them pearls of wisdom, like once you sort the safety thing out, you'll have a great time. And you'll have a great time for a long time because you probably won't get mown down by a car. And they'd nod sagely, yeah, Dad, I get it. But they didn't get it. They heard what I said, but they weren't really focused on it because they were focused on other things. How fast they can ride down a hill, how many wheelies they can do, can they ride without hands, those kind of questions. I love them all very much, but there were times I just wanted to say, listen to my words. Get the safety thing sorted out. Then you can enjoy riding the bike for as long as you like. It really is that simple. I'm guessing some of you can relate to this, either as a parent or as a child. But it's not just with learning to ride a bike, is it? We get told all the time to sort out certain key decisions. And then the rest of life can be enjoyed in the knowledge that the big things are sorted out, the future is prepared for. Get your pension sorted out, get your fitness up to scratch, get your qualifications under the belt, the list goes on. But I guess if we're honest, we can find it quite hard to focus on those things. Not because we don't think they're valuable, but because we've got bigger fish to fry. 
And the same is often true with questions of faith and life after death and what happens next and all those kind of questions. Many people can find it quite hard to focus on those, not because they think they're not important questions to get answers to, but because they've got more pressing things to deal with. Well, we meet some people in the reading we just had from Luke chapter 13 who are also finding it hard to focus. Probably people who thought of themselves as moral, intelligent, upright citizens, cared about justice, wanted to see it play out in the world they lived in. People focused on the issues of the day, the more immediate fish to fry. And Jesus tells them in very simple terms, you've misread your watch. You've got the time wrong. You're focused on really important questions, but you've missed the number one question, the only question with eternal importance. The question which, if you get the answer to that one wrong, make the rest of life's questions completely irrelevant. And the number one question is, have you repented of your sins yet? If you're here this morning, wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, but do think of yourself as a moral, upright citizen, intelligent, cares about justice, want to see it played out in the world you live in. Jesus' words are meant as a warning for you. There's no sugarcoating that. Jesus is going to lovingly challenge you this morning about whether you've made a decision on the only question with eternal importance. And if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, Jesus' words are meant as an encouragement for you, an encouragement to be joyful about what God has saved you from, and an encouragement to keep praying to God that he would act in the lives of the people that we know and love before time runs out. So that's where we're going this morning. Two things Jesus says, and the first is repent or perish. Repent or perish. Take a look down with me at verse 1. Chapter 13, page 1046, verse 1. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So as a reminder, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem to deal with the problem of sin once and for all. And along the way, crowds of people have gathered to hear him teach. Chapter 12 tells us there were so many thousands of people, they were literally climbing over one another to hear him. And Jesus' teaching so far has been aimed at doing two things. So firstly, encouraging those who follow him, telling them not to be anxious or afraid because God loves them more than they can possibly imagine and will take care of them. And secondly, he's warning those who don't follow him yet, those who are perhaps just hanging around, asking him pointed questions, maybe about issues of the day. And the warning to them is that they've missed the big picture. Judgment is coming and they need to be ready. And it's this second group of people that Jesus is addressing here. So they say, hey, Jesus, this really bad thing has happened. What have you got to say about it? 
To be fair, it is a pretty bad thing that's happened. It sounds like the Romans who ruled over Israel at this time had committed a real atrocity. So some people from Galilee were making their religious sacrifices, and for some reason the Romans killed them when they did it. So it's a pretty bad thing to have happened. The equivalent today might be, I don't know, somebody sending off a bomb in a church service. So it's a fair question to ask Jesus, isn't it? What do you think about it? He doesn't answer their question. He doesn't get philosophical around why this particular disaster happened or why a second disaster, a tower block collapsing in Siloam, killing 18 people, happened. Instead, he just confirms two things. Firstly, these disasters weren't sent by God on these particular people to judge them for any particular sinfulness over and above the sinfulness of others. And that was a popular view in the culture of the day. If really bad things happen to you, maybe it was because you'd offended God in a really bad way. Now, Jesus isn't saying that God can't act in judgment against particular people for particular sins. He's just saying that's not what happened here. And secondly, he confirms that every single one of his listeners will face the same fate unless they repent. Repent or perish, he says twice. Not to some of the people, but to all of them. So man or woman, married or single, regardless of background, moral compass, size of their bank balance, how engaged they are with issues of the day, how much money they put in the church coffers. Every single one of the thousands of people in the crowd listening to Jesus were facing the same fate. Not that they'd all necessarily be murdered by an oppressive regime or die in a man-made disaster, but as he's on his way to Jerusalem to pay the ultimate price for a world that he loves, Jesus is saying they will all perish unless they repent. Well, let's quickly define what repent means so we know what Jesus is and isn't saying. So repenting basically means turning from one thing to another. So in the Bible sense, it means turning from a life where we're king to living a life where Jesus is king. So change from living in God's world, paying him lip service at best, to living in God's world, enjoying his good rule in our lives. God's standard is that we do that perfectly. We obviously don't do that perfectly. Even on our best days, we're pretty, uh, a pretty mixed bag. And so repenting means turning to Jesus to ask his forgiveness for how we've lived imperfectly and to commit to living a life with him in the driving seat. Repenting has nothing to do with trying a bit harder, uh, giving a bit of money away, turning over a new leaf every 1st of January. None of these things is enough to gain God's forgiveness. The only way we can do that is to grab hold of the one person who doesn't need God's forgiveness and claim his rightness for ourselves. In other words, to grab hold of Jesus. Let's pause there for a moment and imagine what's going through the heads of the people in the crowd. If he'd asked the thousands of people listening to him uh, what they were hoping for in their Discipleship 101 course that day, this probably wasn't it. Repent. Jesus, we've asked you a serious question here about a live issue of the day. We want to know what you think. Fast forward 2,000 years and it could be, Jesus, what do you think about climate change? Gender equality, culture wars, Brexit, freedom of speech, ending the war in the Ukraine. What have you got to say about these things? Well, Jesus has lots to say about those things, but he doesn't say them here. 
because he needs to teach his listeners to deal with an issue even more important than all of those issues, and that is, have you repented of your sins yet? And the reason he says that's the number one issue of the day, more important than all of these other issues, is because of the other side of that coin. Repent, Jesus says, or perish. Again, worth defining what perish is, so we know what Jesus is saying and isn't saying. So to perish is not to stop existing. Perishing is to exist for eternity in a place where God isn't. Where God's restraining hand on humanity is removed. Where God's common grace of sun and rain disappears. It's a place where the devil and his angels will live. It is a worse place than you can possibly imagine. And it is permanent. That's why Jesus, who loves us more than life itself, says, have you repented of your sin yet? And it's worth saying here, Jesus isn't minimizing the issues of the day, the issues that affect each one of us, whether it's a war raging on Europe's borders, whether it's sickness in our family, maybe it's unemployment, cost of living going up, our child doesn't get a place at the school we wanted them to, a friendship becomes strained, we have a difficult time with our boss. Jesus' aim is not to minimize those issues at all. His aim is to maximise an even bigger issue, the one issue with eternal consequences, because he knows us well. He knows that perspective is a hard thing to keep hold of in the ups and downs of life. Because he knows we tend to think like this, where the here and now is at the forefront of our minds, because that's what we can hear and see and feel and experience. And eternity in that little circle on the right, it's somewhere to the right of our vision, we're not focused on it because we've got bigger fish to fry. But Jesus knows there will come a point in time where we won't be able to see the now, not even with the hovel. I apologise for the artwork, it's terrible, but it's all I could do. Because the now won't exist anymore, it's never to be seen again, Eternity will be the new reality, and that's what Jesus is trying to hammer home here. He's not saying the issues of the day are small in and of themselves. He's just saying if we're focusing on them without dealing with the number one issue of the day, that is as short-sighted as it is possible to be. So if you're sitting here this morning, and you've been focusing on all kinds of issues other than the number one issue of the day, Jesus says, stop. Number one priority, deal with the issue of your sin. Repent and turn to him. He will welcome you with open arms, whatever you have done in your life up until today. You may have been planning to get round to it, but life gets so busy with work and home and stuff. Maybe you feel like you need to do some more reading around Jesus and the claims he makes. Perhaps you're not completely convinced you really need to repent. Are we really that bad? Perhaps our pride's getting in the way. I mean, sorry really is the hardest word, isn't it? Jesus is talking to a huge crowd of people who are probably moral, intelligent, upright citizens who care about justice, want to see it played out in the world they live in. People very much like you. Repent or perish, he says to them. And if you haven't yet repented of your sin, he says exactly the same to you. And if we're here this morning, we've already put our trust in Jesus, whether we did that for the first time yesterday or 50 years ago. 
Praise God for what he saved us from. Praise God for what he has saved us from. We will not perish. That is off the table. Praise God for what he has saved us from. And let's praise him by making sure we're living lives with repentance bang in the middle of them. You know, sometimes we can be tempted to look at the world and think, thank goodness I'm not that bad. If we're slipping into that way of thinking, let's take our eyes off the world and put them onto Jesus to remind us what good really looks like. And that will help us keep repentance at the heart of our relationship with him. So the first thing Jesus tells us, repent or perish. The second thing he tells us is to decide before God's patience runs out. Take a look down at verse 6 with me. Verse 6. Then he told this parable, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Well, the story tells of a pretty rubbish fig tree, one that's been growing for a while but hasn't borne any fruit. The guy who owns the vineyard where the fig tree is growing has finally had enough, and he says, look, it's clearly a waste of space. It's never going to deliver what it's supposed to. Let's get rid of it. The guy who tends the vineyard says, give it one more chance. Give it another year. I'll give it every opportunity to grow with some digging and fertilizing, and maybe fruit will come. But if it doesn't, yeah, it's had more than enough chances. Let's cut it down. Now, the parable is pointedly for the people of Israel. So regularly in the Bible, they're described as a vineyard or as figs, with God as the vineyard owner and carer. So the point is clear. God has been looking for the fruit of repentance in Israel, and he hasn't found any. So he'll give it a bit longer, and if the fruit doesn't come, judgment will. Which is exactly what happened. So Israel's leaders had Jesus, God's promised king, killed, and so they lost their position as God's chosen people, chosen to enjoy the presence and blessing of God as they acted as a light to the nations. Jerusalem was destroyed a few decades after these words were spoken. The Israelite people scattered and subsumed within other nations. But while the parable was pointedly for the people of Israel in the first century, the principle applies equally to all people everywhere today. And the principle is God is patient, wanting people to turn to him. But at some point, God's patience will run out and then he will judge anyone who refuses to recognize Jesus as Lord. Jesus is teaching us to tell the time. And he's telling us that those who have yet to turn to him, the time to do so is running out. Well, time is running out sounds like yet another deadline, doesn't it? And let's be honest, life already has way too many deadlines in it. Get out of the front door by 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Get your homework finished before school tomorrow. Get your long and torturous application for university submitted. Get your CV written for that job application. Get that PowerPoint done for the work presentation. Get your finances sorted out for the tax year that's just ended. 
I get given several deadlines every day, normally by my wife or my children, <laughs> with my natural be- uh, reaction being, stick it on the list, which, as you can imagine, isn't a particularly welcome reply. If this sounds just like another deadline, it isn't. I mean, it kind of is in the sense that the clock is ticking, but it isn't just another one to stick on the list. This is the one to put at the top of the list because it's the only one with eternal consequences. So if you have to make a choice about doing your homework this afternoon or spending some time thinking about whether to make a decision for Jesus or not, get your homework in late. If you've got to make a choice between finishing a work presentation for tomorrow or thinking about whether to repent and turn to Jesus, do your work presentation on the fly. This is the one to deal with first. The others will still be there tomorrow. So if you're here this morning and wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, but would call yourself a moral, intelligent, upright citizen who cares about justice, wants to see it done in the world that you live in, This passage is a warning for you. God's patience is not infinite, and Jesus does not consult you when he's planning his diary. You can't rely on waiting until you've got more time or until you retire or until some other life circumstance happens. Life doesn't work that way, and actually our hearts don't work that way either. If you think you'll suddenly decide to put your trust in Jesus after decades of rejecting him, you can't presume on that. And if you think Jesus will stay his hand of judgment forever, I'm afraid that just isn't true. It doesn't matter how much good we do in life. If we won't seek forgiveness for living in God's world, paying him lip service at best, and not always treating the other people that he's made perfectly we will face his judgment. He says these words as he's on his way to Jerusalem to die for a world that he loves. You'll perish, Jesus says. Jesus is teaching us to tell the time, please don't let this teaching pass you by. Life is fleeting, it might end at any time. The one thing that is certain is that it will be a surprise to you when it does. So you need to turn to Jesus and you need to do it now. If you need any help with that, if you want to talk that through, please come and see me afterwards. Come and speak to anybody you've seen up at the front um, this morning. We would love to talk to you about that. And if you're here this morning and you are following Jesus, let this be an encouragement to you. God wants to find fruit in Banstead. That's why he's patient. Because he wants people to turn to him, to become part of his family. He's overseeing the digging and fertilizing of people's lives, as the parable tells us. In other words, he's at work so that fruit might be seen in the lives we know of people that we know and love. So be encouraged to keep praying for those people. People you might have been praying for for a long time and you haven't seen any fruit yet. Be persistent. Keep being persistent. Invite them to one of the Open Week events. See what they say. Jesus is teaching us to tell the time. And the time now, if we're Christian, is to keep praying and keep giving an account for the hope that we have. Hope for forgiveness, acceptance, adoption, and a share in the eternal glory of God, now and forevermore.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus was willing to teach us things we find hard to hear, even if it made him unpopular, because he loves us, not wanting any to perish, but all to have eternal life. If we haven't yet repented of our sins, please give us the courage to do that. And if we have, Please give us the joy that goes with being a forgiven member of your family. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.